Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomesdown at your service and... Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. For What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Govanin and Sui Laid. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? Broadcasting from UCI, alternating Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Hosted by yours truly, Tani Tanuviel. That's me. The resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf and... Milo Lomsdown at your service. My darling Hobbit co-host. <laughs> Michael Vannin, tell us, darling Hobbit co-host, what else do they need to know about listening to KUCI? Well, you can listen to this fabulous radio station 24 by 7 at KUCI.org. We're streaming live 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Please contact us with your comments and questions or suggestions at askanelf at yahoo.com. That's A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can find podcasts of this program and information about this show and all the public affairs programs of KUCI at www.kucitalk.org. You can also find our podcasts of What Would Arwen Do? on iTunes. For free download, simply go to the iTunes store and search for A-R-W-E-N. And uh, welcome to everyone who might be listening both online and in uh, in person, <laughs> what is that? Is that the word in person? Over um, the air. Over the air, and I want to say a special hello to all of our friends who do listen in, uh, whether it's uh, in the moment or on podcast. We are very much appreciative of the great technology of the modern world that keeps us uh, connected with all of our friends all up. 
across this wonderful globe, as well as uh, the fact that people can listen in later on when they're not able to tune in during the show. So, and actually, just a little um, FYI for those almost, I believe, pretty much all of the public affairs programming, the talk shows on KUCI are available through podcast, which you can find through our website at KUCITalk.org or uh, many of them are also available through iTunes, as we are. That's right. In our case, you just search for A-R-W-E-N in the, R- in the iTunes store. And in case you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering what this show is about. Well, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine, to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? So this show has come out a little bit out of my uh, now almost 10-year adventure of my grand experiment of life as an elf. Some people, when things come up in life, some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, When challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf said to Frodo, questions, questions that need answering. We like to ask, what would Arwen do? Who was Arwen, you may be wondering. In J.R.R. Tolkien's mythology of Middle-earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, a beloved daughter of the universe, like all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great great privilege comes responsibility. In her we see courage, wisdom, beauty, a sense of humor and gaiety and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So our goal here, our hope, is that you will be inspired by tuning in and uh, occasionally by the guests we have, which, dear Hobbit, we have a very special guest coming on just in about 10 minutes, right? That's right. Doug Adams, author of the great book, the music of the Lord of the Rings films. Yes, that's, I, I'm so excited I could hardly contain myself. So, But I'm an elf, so I'm going to keep my composure. <laughs> we need to be calm. Yes, um, but it's very, very exciting. That has been just an amazing work. Before then, though, we, have, uh, we must have uh, a movie report as I love that you always bring us up to date on what's going on with the Hobbit movies, because one of the things uh, that we are both lovers of both the movies and the books and are so excited about the Hobbit movies coming out when? 
Oh, my gosh. December 14th, 2012. Barely 14 months from now. Oh, my goodness. I know. It's going to be so amazing. So uh, since we last met two weeks ago, do we have any new news about uh, anything, any new developments with the films or the casting? Or Well, there's always new developments, but I'm precious of our time today because I want to leave as much room as possible to talk to Doug Adams. So I'll just Indeed. mention a few things. On the book side, mm-hmm. of course, we all love The Hobbit book, upon which the new movie movies are based, well, The Art of the Hobbit, a collection of more than a 100 Hobbit sketches, drawings and paintings and maps by Tolkien himself, Mm. will be published on October 27th, Art of the Hobbit. You can go to Amazon.com and search for Art of the Hobbit to get more information. So that's going to be released this year on October 27th, correct? October 27th this year in celebration of the 75th anniversary, basically, they are just now uh, getting going. That is, basically, the publishers are anticipating that next year, when the true 75th anniversary occurs, that there is going to be a huge frou-frou, uh-huh. right? Uh, from 1937 to 2012, 75 years, my gosh. So <laughs> this this book which, of course, I have pre-ordered. I'm just uh, very excited about seeing Tolkien's vision himself for The Hobbit book. Yes, I love his illustrations. One of my favorite of all books of J.R. Tolkien's is his Letters of Father Christmas, which we'll talk about in a couple of months, but with his beautiful and just uh, charming illustrations, too, that he made for his children. Very, very charming. It was obvious that he wasn't a professional artist. On the other hand, they're so charming. On other uh, on movie news, there are several minor things, but the one thing that needs to be mentioned to people is Stephen Fry and Peter Jackson sat down in Bag End, that is in the movie set, to talk about Tolkien and his use of language. And Stephen Fry actually recited Tolkien's poem, Roads Go Ever, Ever On, Under Cloud and Under Star. Yet feet that wandering have gone, return at last to home afar. Eyes that fire and sword have seen, and horror in halls of stone. Look at last on meadows green, and trees and hills they long have known. But when Stephen Fry does it, it's like fabulous. So (laughs) I got this link from my favorite site, theonering.net, which in turn points you to the BBC in the United Kingdom, and there's also a YouTube video mm. of it, by the way, YouTube video. So you can search for Stephen Fry, Peter Jackson. And that's about all I really wanted to cover on the movie news because we've got adventure reports and then oh, Doug Adams. Yes. And, uh, well, and we're very much appreciative of the OneRing.net, a great resource for movie news. They have the Hobbit, Hobbit in Five or something like that and yes. um, all kinds of things going on. Another wonderful online community for those lovers of Tolkien that just can't find enough people to connect with to talk about with these things, of course, is my favorite website, theonering.com, uh, which is r- more of a community of people. There's a lot of... Um, writing and role play stories and uh, the message board of just talking and you know so there's wonderful resources out there and now uh, it's amazing too how things keep popping up all over the place who would have thought that uh J.R. Tolkien's work would turn into such a phenomenon that it's hard to keep up with it all it is very yeah. very difficult you know, to keep Peter on Jackson's top of it Peter Jackson's blog and Ian McKellen's blog and Doug Adams' blog 
Yes, Doug Adams has a wonderful blog, which we'll be talking about later. So, speaking of Doug Adams, though, he was uh, uh, on kind of on tour the last couple of weeks promoting the music of the Lord of the Rings that would be played live at these various locations, and we were privileged to go and uh, see this and hear this at the Honda Center. We had a lovely meal, you and me and Ro, the shield maiden, mm-hmm. archeress. Oh, my gosh. Wonderful meet at the Lazy Dog, Lazy Food Cafe, the Lazy Dog Cafe. Food at the Lazy Dog Cafe. <laughs> I'm so excited just thinking about it. It was wonderful. It was kind of, it was so, de- it was so delicious. It, on one hand, it seemed like a hobbit feast. And on the other hand, it seemed extremely elvish because it was so healthy and light and you could eat so much and wonderful things and not feel full. And then we went over to the Honda Center mm-hmm. and we were able to see live Ludwig Vicky conducting the Munich Symphony Orchestra, conducting the Pacific Chorale, yes. uh, directed by the great John Alexander, but conducted in this case by Vicky. And the Phoenix Boys Choir were superb, and Catherine Lusk as the soloist. Oh, my gosh. I was in heaven when, uh, especially when she sang, you know, many of the Elvish the, all the Elvish parts, hearing her sing Aniran, uh, you know, all in Elvish, and of course, uh, just the core. It was amazing to me what how rich it was to hear the choral pieces live. Just the resonance of those voices filling that auditorium was amazing. Oh, I guess it's more than an auditorium, but you know, the Honda Center. But those those voices. Whereas it was amazing to hear the live choirs, both the live Phoenix Boys Choir as well as the great Pacific Chorale. My gosh, they did great work. The original recordings, of course, the soundtrack is really excellent. But to hear that mass of live, excellent, professionally trained musicians live, you got a dimension of sound you don't ordinarily get. And the entire soundtrack. So in case anybody is wondering, you know, what it would be like to actually go to this, does it match it? It ma- There were almost times when I couldn't tell that it was a live orchestra playing because, we, you know, the movie was up on the screen and, of all, you know, of course, we all love the movie. So it was so perfectly matched to that. It, you know, didn't miss one single beat. But every once in a while you would get caught up in, you know, because you wanted to watch the the movie, but then this music would well up and you would have this, you know, you would know that it was live and just, again, like the vibration, the voices, the the live penny whistle, you know. And the live accordion on stage, mm-hmm. which again is a hard instrument to reproduce, the but the hardest of all was Miss Lusk's beautiful soprano voice. <sighs> Because no amount of stereo gear can reproduce a good soprano, and it was thrilling to hear her live in those soaring yes. melodies. Oh, my gosh. Well, the rumor is that these uh, performances will be coming each year on the 10th anniversary of each of the films. So I, I'm i so hoping that Caitlin Lusk will be a, back again, not only next year, but also for The Return of the King. I can't imagine, I can hardly wait to hear what a, a live orchestra and even her voice will do with the Renee Fleming pieces from Return of the King. It was just... Not to mention Into the West, to yeah, hear someone else of that caliber yes. do it and probably in a different way because certainly Annie Lennox had a very 
unique and personal approach to Enter the West, and it'll be interesting to see another great soprano taking on that challenge. Well, even at the the concert that we saw, uh, Caitlin Lusk singing uh, Aniron, the the part that Anya sings, you know, in the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Right. Of course, and it's recorded, and and is is beautiful. I mean, I'm enchanted by that song. But oh, to hear May it be sung sung loud, you know, sung live uh, by Caitlin was just absolutely mesmerizing. According to the original press release for the West Coast tour, which has now ended, the last performance was in Sacramento two days ago, but according to the press release, Elf Princess, they said the two towers next year and the return of the king in 2013. Plans to kick off the three-year celebration, which of course is timed with the release of the Hobbit movies. Yes. Well, it was so exciting. It was such a wonderful, wonderful um, adventure, you know, with you and the Shield Maiden. And I'm looking very much forward to next year. It was also delightful to meet the uh, one of the recipients of a pair of, the pair of tickets that we gave. Because last week we gave away three pairs of tickets. And we actually ran into one of the, to Greg and his daughter who were there, uh, who yeah. picked up the tickets. So just a little uh, something for QCI. You know, we are an amazing radio station. We're all volunteers here. And not only here on the Public Affairs Show, but also on our music show, you know, we give away tickets every once in a while. So, you know, six pairs of tickets went out last week uh, to KUCI listeners who got to attend the concert. And it was so wonderful to get to meet uh, Greg and his daughter. They were, they were so excited about being there. Yes, and I want to say a personal thank you to David Barber, who worked with us to get those three mm. pairs of tickets to give away. Yes. It, was, it was a wonderful thing for for them, and, and they were really good tickets. They were really good, yes. good tickets, so... Thank you very much. And, and to all the businesses that support our programming here, it's just amazing. The only thing and I would say is I was afraid. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're doing on time. It's just about time to go into music. But one last comment. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that we would be sitting too close, but I shouldn't have worried. I think next year for the two towers, I'm going to try for the front row <laughs> of the seating area mm-hmm. because, in fact, there is enough different. I, I checked it out during intermission. Mm-hmm. There is enough distance between the front row of the seating and the screen where the images won't be distorted. The images were digitally projected mm-hmm. by a pair of 20,000 lumen projectors. Beautiful images. Right. But I, I think next time I want to be in the lap of the orchestra. Yes. Well, and we didn't know whether the orchestra was going to be lower or higher. Right. So now that we've been there, you know, it's like going to the theater, scoping out the best seats. Now right. we know where to go for the best seats next year. That's right. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll even have one of those party suites and have a little... Um, a Lord of the Rings party or something before or after. Well, you know, our guest is Doug Adams, and he wrote this great book, The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films, and with it, inside the back cover, sort of hidden, is the Rarities CD. And I think before we call him up on the phone, we should listen to some of the Rarities stuff. Yes, actually, we're going to hear one of the songs, uh, and I believe this has that that charming penny whistle but anyway this is uh, an alternate this is a mock-up for the shire music so we'll hear that and then we'll also hear um i'm not sure if we'll hear arwen's arwen's song i think we'll also hear arwen's song so um this is music again from the only places that you can get this cd is, is in, in, in the, the book. book absolutely so and here is kuci in Irvine, and we will be back in just a few moments with our very special guest author Doug Adams, author of The Music of the Lord of the Rings. 
this charming music is wow. from the Rarity CD, uh, the music of the Lord of the Rings, from the only place that you can get this music is from the book, The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films by Doug Adams. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am your host, Tony Tenuvio, with my Hobbit co-host, Milo Lomsdown, at your service, Elf Princess. And we are so very excited today to have uh, Douglas Doug Adams joining us in just a moment. Again, that was the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore. And Doug, are you there? I am here. <laughs> oh, we're so excited. Technology works. I don't like anything more complicated than a donkey cart, but I guess we're okay today. My Govanen, dear friend. Oh, this is so exciting. You have been uh, quite busy lately, though. <laughs> with yeah, it's your... been quite a couple of weeks, absolutely, yeah. Are you back in Chicago now? I'm back in Chicago, yes. So, Milo, dear Hobbit, would you give us give our listeners just a little background on who our guest is today? Well... Doug Adams, I first became familiar with in his writing for the great magazine Film Score Monthly, <clears throat> in which he did famous interviews with such people as John Cogurigliano, if I'm mispronouncing his name properly, uh, of the Red Violin fame. And he also had a wonderful interview, a great interview with Julie Tamer and Elliot Goldenthal about Frida, which was a great film by Tamer with fabulous music by her husband, Elliot Goldenthal. So Film Score Monthly was where I first became aware of him because, as you know, Elf Princess, I'm a movie fanatic. I know you are. But then we heard rumblings of a book. Yes. And so Doug Adams is a musicologist, a writer, a lecturer, a co-performer with symphony orchestras. He is a musicologist who has analyzed and worked with Howard Shore on the music of The Lord of the Rings, and we have lots of questions for this percussionist turned musicologist. And, uh, Doug, I just want to say, just from personally from my heart, thank you, thank you so much for writing this book. Um, I have loved the music of The Lord of the Rings. Um, I fell in love with the, the movies. I saw The Fellowship of the Ring 28 times in the, in the theaters. And part of that was because, because of the music. I felt like Howard Shore actually made a musical Middle Earth. And so when I saw this book and that there was even additional music because some of us fans can't get enough of everything that we love, uh, I was so excited. So thank you so much for writing this book. Certainly, it was it was a, a real labor of love. You know, it, it took a long time to to get it finished, but there was a certain point where we were getting close to the end, and I kind of felt like, oh, gee, I, I really do have to finish this thing. I don't <laughs> want to stop. This is too much fun. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I should give our listeners some of the details on this. The book is The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films. The author is our guest today, Doug Adams. It is published by a company called Carpentier, and yet it's available in this country through Alfred Music Publishing, and they actually have a website, alfred.com slash L-O-T-R, that takes you right to all the details on the book. And, of course, the book is available in Amazon.com and other Barnes & Noble and other devices. It's a beautiful 400-page book, just one year old now. It was published in October, if I mm. recall, Doug, and it's just beautiful. It has a, a bonus disc of Rarity's music that is fabulous, so I also want to add my thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. It's completely my pleasure. 
So uh, we both have uh, probably a gazillion questions. So we're going to try to kind of take take uh, um, take turns. But I guess we were kind of just wondering how it is that you ended up even in this endeavor with Howard Shore. Who called whom? <laughs> well, it was uh, as you mentioned. I, I wrote for the magazine for Film Score Monthly, um, and I was, uh, you know, one of the few and maybe the only musician on staff. You know, I, I was never really. A, uh, a journalist per se. That wasn't my training. My, my training was all in music. Mm. So whenever Film Car Monthly wanted interviews with composers, they would ask me to, you know, could you please do an interview with this composer or that composer, which was a huge pleasure for me because that was really the music that I had grown up with, was music that I heard in film. Um, you know, I was a, a, a child of the, the 70s and 80s, so that was sort of right in that era where all those big symphonic scores were having their resurgence. Uh, you know, the great American tradition, great European traditions. Um, so I'm sure my, my concepts of, of, a, of a symphony orchestra were very much formed by what I was hearing in film. And then, of course, I went on to study music, and you find how that all fits together with Beethoven and Mahler and Stravinsky and all these wonderful composers. Um, but anyway, you know, as part of that, I had interviewed Howard Shore a few times. I think the first time was for a score he did called Copland with uh, Sylvester Stallone. And, you know, every time he would have something new coming out, we would chat again. Mm. Uh, so it was in, um, in 01, I think, he was working on a film for, uh, for the great Frank Oz, you know, of, of Muppet fame originally, and then went on to become a wonderful director. And he was doing a picture called The Score, ironically enough, uh, which is not, not a musical score in this case. He was referring to like, you know, the heist picture with Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando and some wonderful actors, Ed Norton. Um, so we, I, I had, at this point, I was aware that Howard Shore was, was hired to work on The Lord of the Rings. Um, but I was trying to be very professional and not bring it up and not mention it. And uh, at the end of the interview, you know, uh, talking about this Frank Oz film, he and I would always sit and chat at the end of interviews. We, we got along very, very well. I, we found that we had a lot in common in the arts in terms of our interests uh, and our backgrounds and things like that. So we got to that period after the interview where we would sit and chat, and he said, hey, you know, I've, I've just signed on to do this Lord of the Rings thing. And of course, I was very much aware, but trying to be professional, not bring it up. Um, <laughs> and he asked, you know, would you maybe be interested in doing some sort of collaboration on this? You know, I don't, I don't really know exactly what we could do with it, but uh, maybe we can try to do some sort of a project here. And I was, you know, over the moon, thrilled, and didn't sleep for about a week after that, just imagining, wow. oh, what could we do? What could we do? What could we do? Because at that point, of course, he was a well-established, great composer. He had The Fly. He had other David Cronenberg films under his belt. I believe by that point, he had um, he had gone through The Silence of the Lambs, one of the great scores. And of course, at this point, too, nobody really knew what the reception for these movies were going to be. Some of us that knew... <laughs> Some of us that knew Peter Jackson's previous films were very, very, very nervous about him having this. But when we saw that Howard Shore had been announced to score the film, we could relax and say, well, at least the music will be okay. <laughs> and when we saw that Andrew Lesney was doing the cinematography, we say, well, at least the movie is going to look good. <laughs> of course, we Howard, Howard was a fascinating choice, really, because he wasn't sort of that guy that did, as you know, he didn't do those sort of you know, broad canvas pictures at that point. He mm -hmm. was known essentially for three things. The, the Cronenberg pictures, uh, he, he had done all those. Um, you know, some family pictures here and there, and Mrs. Doubtfire and Big and things like that. 
And, of course, he'd been the band leader on Saturday Night Live for the first five seasons. So those were sort of his three calling cards. Mm. Everyone looked at Lord of the Rings and said, well, this guy is clearly talented, but has he done anything like this? So it was, it was a wonderful question mark at the time. I mean, ten hours of movies. That's a, that's a, that, and, and everything that with it. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody really realized what a phenomenon was, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies was going to turn into, you know, which I'm thrilled about because I, I love all the expansiveness of J.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth. You were involved early on enough, Doug. Did you have a sense of what this was going to be? I think we all knew that it was something special, but you never know exactly how that will be received by audiences. Um, there was clearly an enormous amount of passion uh, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think certainly it, it, it picked up steam as it went. You know, in Fellowship, everyone is sort of wringing their hands and thinking, boy, this is quite a gamble. Will people want to see the rest of the story? Mm-hmm. And by, you know, by the time they were hitting post-production on The Return of the King, um, there was certainly a sense that, okay, we've connected with people, let's, let's finish this well and, and uh, create a legacy here. But they knew that people were, you know, quite enthused by the, uh, about the first two pictures. So it was, the atmosphere sort of, you know, the clouds parted as, as time went by, but there was a lot of nervousness at first, you know. Yes. The studios had, you know, they'd shot all these things, all, all the films had been, you know, been put before the cameras by the time they started doing the music for the first film. So everyone's thinking, it's, you know, we have two more of these we have to do. We've already invested in them, so I hope people like this. <laughs> How was it? So you were actually working on this from the very beginning with Howard Shore, right? Um, you know, the, pos- the idea of, have you, had you done something like this before, like working toward this, the goal of this, you know, a book, you know, here, the music of the Lord of the Rings, which took all these years to actually come to completion. Um, I mean, that's quite a project in itself. Yeah, I, I had nothing like that in my past. I was a graduate student. I was, <laughs> you know, finishing up college. Um, it, it, was, wow. it was, as I say, this was an absolutely thrilling invitation to receive because I was a huge fan of Howard Shore. He'd been one of my, you know, uh, I was the <laughs> I was the kid that had all the film composers as my heroes, and he was one of these people that was my heroes. Um, so you know, the things that first seemed so fantastic to me. Maybe I'll get to write some liner notes for Howard Shore. Maybe I'll even get to meet him at some point. And then to find over the the course of time that it went so far beyond just those things. It was, uh, you know, an absolute dream come true. And it continues to come true. It gets better every day. Now, were you also a uh, a fan of J.R. Tolkien? Had you read the books before meeting Howard Shore? Certainly, I had read the books. I was I was very much a fan. Um, I, I don't know that I had a particularly scholarly approach to it. You know, mm-hmm. I read them when I was young and not revisited them, though I, I certainly loved the, the books and the writing. Um, but, uh, you know, as soon as I came on board, I realized, you know, everybody behind the scenes, they would never refer to an actor by name or to a set or anything like this. It was, it was always proper names and, and locations within Tolkien's universe. So I, I realized, boy, I'd better get this stuff down because nobody's <laughs> going to give me you know, right. the time of day if I can't figure out where on, on the map of Middle Earth they are. So I, I quickly reacquainted myself with, with all the lore. Yes. Um, and it's just, as I mentioned before, it's so amazing to me now because I actually came to this world through the movies and, and then fell deeply in love with the books. And, but to me, the music, 
um, even now when I read the books, it's almost like I can hear the themes of the different areas of Middle Earth in of Howard Shore's music in my head when I read the books. Just just as with some of the characters, I mean, when I read about Galadriel, you know, I see you know the Galadriel of the movies. Um, but to me, it this the this musical experience of Middle Earth so much enriched even what J.R. Tolkien brought to us just in his writings. And I, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a wonderful um, pa- little little passage from the letters of J.R. Tolkien, where it's one of my favorite favorite quotes of his that he wrote. Uh, this was from a letter to Sir Stanley Unwin, Unwin uh, 14th September 1950. But he says when he was being asked about, you know, about the world of Middle-earth and about this writing. But he, he says, I would draw some of the great tales in fullness and leave many only placed in the scheme and sketched. The cycles should be linked to a majestic whole and yet leave scope for other minds and hands wielding paint and music and drama. And I have always loved that quote because I, some people like to talk about, oh, well, would J.R. Tolkien have liked the movies or this or that? I think he would have loved just the expansiveness of, of what, you know, he discovered. And to me, Howard Shore's music is just another version, in a sense, of Middle Earth. I think that's absolutely right, and I think Howard would be thrilled to hear you say that because that's certainly how he tried to approach it. You know, he... he really tried to find what was essential in this world and find a way to portray that musically. And that, that stretches to, to character, to motivation, all the things that make wonderful drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then also Tolkien's sense of, of world building, you know, the, the history, the passing of time, the relationships between cultures, you know, right. similarities and separations, all these types of things that create this sort of canvas with no distinct ends. You know, it, it feels like it reaches forward and back and then just as expansive as the world can be. Right. And that's, I, that's really what he's trying to do. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. I know... Um I'm not a music. I haven't studied music, but I I fell in love with the music of of the Lord of the Rings. And I remember when the two towers were coming out. One of my friends and I were we were just so excited to find out what was going to be the music of Rohan. So and what was going to be the music of the of the Ents. And it was like it was like exploring the worlds. But we were as excited just to find out what the music was going to be associated with these different areas and these different themes in the music. And I had never had any experience like that with a movie before of just actually yeah. anticipating what, what would it be like? Well, it's, it's fantastic. Tolkien, you know, even within his, his, his uh, mythology that the world was created out of music. So it's very appropriate that yes. music plays such a large role in the storytelling here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the filmmakers knew that. You know, it's, uh, a film composer is only able to contribute as much as he's allowed by directors in a way. You know, so it, it's wonderful that, uh, you know, Pete and Fran and Philippa created a film that needed music. You know, music has a role to play. It's never redundant. Mm-hmm. It always has uh, a space in which it can dwell. And that's not something that directors always do, and that was a very wise choice, and I think very true to, uh, to Tolkien's inspiration as well, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing to see happen. Mm-hmm. That's, an extra, that's an excellent point you make. When you look at the great partnerships Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone, Nina Rota and Fellini, when you look at Bernard Herrmann and Hitchcock, it is a matter of the director being large enough 
to express his desires for the film and then actually let the composer do his job. I've got a question for you, Doug, which is now that the big west coast tour is over Mm -hmm. and presumably you're ensconced back in your home in chicago what are you doing right now have you been approached uh for instance by the metropolitan opera to do the music of the ring of the nibelungen you know they have a new production of wagner and of course you're you're responsible for that fabulous of rings and myths which we're hoping will come sometime to the west coast or be on dvd or something i guess let's ask about that first because you recently worked with the kentuckians where does of rings and myths stand are we going to see it in any form anyhow anywhere <laughs> I, I certainly hope so yeah i mean we, we've just had our uh, our first performance of it um i guess it was about two weeks back now a week and a half two weeks um and it, it was wonderfully received. I, I was extremely pleased with the reviews. Uh, so I think there's a very strong chance we're going to see it uh, tour around uh, within the near future. We're mm-hmm. still sort of, you know, everybody's getting back into town. We've, we've all been on the road with, with the tour and all that. So we're sort of you know, resting up and starting to plot our <laughs> next moves. But, yeah, I think that's something we can do. That was a, that was an incredibly enjoyable experience you know, to, to compare the, the Wagner and the Shore and the Tolkien and all that. Oh. In a way that you know, certainly not suggesting that anyone took ideas from anybody else or any sort of things, but just finding how ideas within myths uh, relate to one another. You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the inspirations for them? How do different composers treat their heroes and their villains and nature and industrialism and, and weaponry and lore <laughs> and all those type of things? It's, it's very fascinating. But the question, um, it, the other question, Doug, is: Have you yeah. been approached? To, to do the show again, or no, to do another book for someone else, for instance, <laughs> the music uh, I've been, of. I've been approached you know. to do another book, but I think we're going to stay in Middle Earth for that book. As a matter of fact, so we have. Um, so that would be for the Hobbit. That would be the Hobbit. That oh, be, yeah. good. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> that was going to be one of my last questions, but since you bring it up, it's good to hear affirmation that you are you are currently working on a book, the music of the Hobbit films. Well, we're, we're sort of in our early planning stages. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's, there's nothing much to write about yet since everything is still coming together in terms of the music itself. But uh, that's something that we're, we're uh, incredibly excited to revisit. Um, you know, it's funny. In a lot of ways, we just left Middle Earth. You know, we just finished this book a year ago. Yeah. So it, it was such a wonderful bridge from the end. You know, we, we were working on this straight from from the beginning of the film production. So it really felt like it, it carried that spark in us to get us back into the world of Tolkien. And then, you know, we had a few months to do a few other things, and now we're all, we're all back, to, uh, back to the Shire, I think. I'm curious, too, because the, the Hobbit predates The Lord of the Rings. and so In the, publishing history. In publishing history and in, in story. So, and Howard Shore has already established some of the, the themes and motifs for these different groups, like Rivendell and the Shire. And, um, and there, you know, are there, but they're trying to think of there are new, new motifs and themes to be introduced. Of course, we haven't heard anything from Mirkwood, so we'll, we'll have to have music for Mirkwood, right? Not to mention music <laughs> for the White Council. And for the dwarves. There'll have to be special music for the dwarves, in a sense, right? Well, I think that's exactly the types of discussions they're having right now, is um, <laughs> how do you represent this world musically? It's interesting. Mm. In Lord of the Rings, they never planned on having that huge catalog of themes. Really? You know, when they weren't, yeah, when they oh, were really? in the fellowship, they just thought, okay, well, we'll have a, you know, this 
style and this style, and he just goes with the story. But then they realized that it added such clarity to have different themes represent so much in the story. And, of course, it, it went beyond just simple characters. It went to cultures right. and objects yes. and histories and certain attitudes of adult societies and all, all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. Um, but that was, it was there as, a, as a, a device to add clarity, to make these things um, easily understandable to maybe the film goer that didn't have the background in folk games. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it, it was a very organic process, and I think that's really where they are in the Hobbit: is just getting their heads around how do you how do you fit this with what we've already done? How do we make this you know a, a clear and and emotional story? So that's uh, that's where everybody everybody's sort of in their very early planning stages. It's a such a delicate, wonderful time for these types of creative things because you just. You know, you just sort of dwell in that dream space. It's such a cool thing. And what a wonderful um, thing for you to have uh, kind of, I guess, the sense of the uh, another adventure and the road goes ever on in being able, with such wonderful work that you've done with the music of The Lord of the Rings, to be invited to be uh, on this next adventure of the music of The Hobbits. You know, two movies and, and, of course, all of the expansive part of that that comes with, you know, once people... Um, you know, it just it just takes it just this spreads like wildfire. People want more and more, and so how how exciting for you to be to be planning already for that part? Is this going to kind of take over your life? <laughs> <laughs> it seems it seems poised to yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm unbelievably excited. I, I so much of the first book was learning how to do it. You know, mm-hmm. even just learning how to exist in a grown up world, coming out of college and figuring out how the business of these things happen and how, how do you structure something creatively that makes sense to people uh, when they want to, you know, experience it as an audience and all that sort of thing. Um, so this one kind of feels like, all right, we've, we've, we've stretched our muscles and we know how to make something like this work. Now we can just put all our thought into making it as beautiful as we can. And, mm. you know, that's tremendously exciting. And, and of course, to... to be close to what I believe will be more film and narrative history and musical history being made. That's you know you, you can't hope for anything better than that. That's amazing. Yes. You're listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI-FM Irvine, and our guest today, our very special guest, is Doug Adams, live on the telephone. Uh, Doug, uh, you must have other projects in the fire. Can you share with us what else you may be working on now? Certainly, I imagine you're rereading the Hobbit book and and thinking <laughs> about this. I must say, your book, The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films, is a really great book. As I I took a very so close beautiful. look at it. Not only is it a very beautiful book physically, but but almost uh, writer the writing. The organization is so good because we have a very good introduction. Then we have a catalog of light motifs. Then we have a, a a a breaking down, basically an analysis of the film scores for the three films. And then we have wonderful stories from the recording sessions. So I think it's a tremendously good pattern for a book on film music. But I'm wondering what other things you may be having in line. Are you going to ever get back to being a practicing percussionist? Are you working on other books? Are you working on magazine articles? Are you raising a family? Uh, I mean, there's many questions that we'd like to ask as to what you're currently doing. Well, my, my day-to-day life is certainly very much the sort of the, you know, musical existence of 
playing and teaching and writing and arranging and you know all, all the things that, that make the uh, make the mortgage payment. <laughs> um, but I think you know I, I, I've spent. Uh, and, uh, the better part of a decade here getting this first book out and about to embark on the second one so um, I thought it would be good to tend to my personal life a little bit so I will be getting married this coming summer so that's sort of oh, a big congratulations. congratulations best hey, wishes thank you. oh that how exciting oh my gosh you just you just um, have all kinds of adventures going on <laughs> there's no grass growing under my feet certainly <laughs> well it's very interesting to me how when we're willing to kind of take a little chance and that's a lot of, about what our show is about it's about being willing to take a risk and go out and, and have an adventure step outside your door or, or be careful about stepping outside your door as Bilbo often you know as Bilbo warned us uh, because we just never know where that road might take us off to but um, we're certainly very excited about the the road that you've taken I'm kind of curious just we're almost out of time but uh, I was reading on your blog which your uh, blog website for those that are listening in either live or on podcast is uh, www.musicoflotr.com musicoflotr.com that's Doug's blog site but I was reading how, you know, you had to kind of take these classes because, you know, for many people who do, you know, writing or something, and then all of a sudden you have to start doing all these public appearances and being on television and being in the public eye. How has that, how, what's that been like? Has it been stressful or has it been enriching? Has it kind of expanded you as a person? Uh, all of the above, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I always... You know, certainly, the idea of you never know where your feet will take you is so, so applicable to this. You know, I went from being uh, a graduate student in the Midwest with grand dreams of perhaps someday publishing a color pamphlet on the music of the Lord of the Rings to being allowed to travel the world. I mean, I, I've been all over Europe with this in the last couple of years. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, of course, was all over the West Coast of the U.S. doing the, the press tour and spending all my spare time on television and radio and things that you just never, ever dream that you're going to do. But it's, it's uh, a testament to being open to opportunities, you know. I, I, I didn't know how to write a book, much less how to, you know, what direction you're supposed to stand when you're facing a camera and where your eyes go and all those types of things. And um, by, by the way, for our listeners, this is no ordinary book. This book has Lots of images from very successful motion pictures. It has lots of musical quotations from <laughs> Howard Shore's score. A- it has lots of words from Tolkien's book. The point I'm making, Elf Princess, is that Doug must have gotten his hands dirty with that nasty legal stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we learned how to, how to uh, swim those channels appropriately, certainly. And, and, and we work with such wonderful, creative people, you know, working with... Uh, John Howe and, and uh, Alan Lee who did all yes. the conceptual artwork for the films and you know that they provided all that work for the book um, it's, it's fascinating you know it, it's been the ultimate rewarding experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything well as uh, an as an elf, I'm always hoping that people will uh, will be willing to take a risk and take an adventure um, and get involved in the arts. I think you know, I think business and economy and all politics is all all of that is wonderful. But there there need to be some people in the world that are free from those things that can give their give their hearts and their souls and their energy to the world of the arts. And that you know, so I want to thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> and. Uh, 
would you would you encourage those art students or music students out there to to stay the course and not give up on letting art or music become uh, a path for them? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have those things in my life. You know, they've, they've provided all the good things that have come to me, even including my, my marriage this summer, you know. The, the girl that I'm marrying I met because we had similar musical interests. And oh, that's it's so... Just all, yeah, she's a musician as well. She's a wonderful French horn player, and we can wow. you know, sit and listen to the music of the Lord of the Rings together and pick out ideas, and it's just wonderful. You know, you, you never know what you can do with your life until you give it a chance and, and these type of things I'm, I'm so glad that I took the risk and said okay yeah sure I'll do that collaboration whatever it may be yes well Doug our time is just about up I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot and ask if it uh, might be possible could we invite you back and you would think about coming back uh, perhaps maybe in you know four or five months or something or if the the the, um, the press release the, says that this is going to be re- repeated that we're going to have the two yes. towers and then Return of the King. That's what the original press release said. We'd love to have you come back on the show if you would because you're such an inspiration and thank you so much. I'd love to be back, certainly. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, so sorry that we our time is over, but thank you so much for graciously coming on the show today and I'm sure that um, our listeners will love it and uh, the show, uh, for those listening, it will be up on podcast uh, in just a couple of days. And so, Doug, um, we're going to have to say namariya until the next time that we uh, are able to speak. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you so much, Doug. Bye-bye. Have a great day. And that was Douglas Doug Adams, the author of The Lord of the Rings, uh, The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films. And we are just out of time, dear Hobbit. We're just going to have to say goodbye. And so we're going to leave with a little bit of music. If you're listening on podcast, um, uh, realize that we'll be editing out a little bit of the music. But please uh, tell your friends and... You can find us on iTunes and through KUCITalk.org. This is KUCI in Irvine, Orange County's alternative radio station. Until two weeks, Namariye.